1-800-UT. Good evening and welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm Nabil Biagio on this live broadcast from Studio 14. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan and Sudan this Thursday, December 28, 2023. Sudanese journalists call for the protection of civilians and journalists in the country's conflict zones. Many journalists have been stopped and questioned by uh, uh, rapid support members. And we are really worried about uh, their safety because they have been scattered in many villages in South Jazeera and East Jazeera and Central Jazeera. Also, we bring you more end-of-year greetings from VOA listeners across the continent. May the Almighty God continue to bless us, continue to make us to see many more years to come. And also, my VOA family, may the Almighty God bless you guys for presenting the show. We will have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. The leader of Sudan's paramilitary rapid support forces, General Mohamed Hamdan Dagalo, visited Ethiopia's capital Addis Ababa today in the second leg of a rare publicly announced foreign tour. On Wednesday, Dagalo met Uganda's President Yuri Museveni at his country home. It was the first confirmed appearance outside of Sudan since the war between RSF and the Sudanese army broke out in mid-April. Reuters News says Ethiopia's Deputy Prime Minister and Foreign Minister Demeki Mekonen met Dagalo at Ethiopia's Bole International Airport today. Posts on the social media platform X show the RSF leader arriving in an aircraft belonging to a United Arab Emirates airline. Reuters notes that last month, a top Sudanese general accused the UAE of backing the RSF's war effort, funneling supplies through countries including Uganda. The UAE denied the charge. Still in Sudan, the Sudanese journalist syndicate is urging the rapid support forces who recently assumed control of a significant portion of a Jazeera state from the Sudan Armed Forces to ensure the safety of civilians and journalists. They are also calling on the international community and the RSF to establish secure routes through which journalists and civilians can escape conflict areas. I spoke with Abdul Munaim Abu Idris, president of the syndicate, who is currently stuck in Al Jazeera state. Tens of thousands of civilians they are in the war zone areas, uh, especially town like uh, Madani and small town North Madani called Hasahisa and other villages around Madani. Uh, those people uh, they under uh, the exchange of fares and the rapid support of fares, they took control of most of the zero states. They are uh, raped, the houses, the loot, the properties, uh, looted their cars, and the journalists, many journalists, we report that many journalists have been stopped and questions by uh, uh, rapid support members, and we are really 
worried about uh, their safety because they have been scattered in many villages in South Jazeera and East Jazeera and Central Jazeera. Uh, and there is no there is no vehicles to take them to any to take them to any place they want. We uh, ask uh, the international community and the international organization to put the pressure on rapid support uh, to open safety corridors uh, for the civilians, especially especially for the journalists, to leave the war zone areas to the safety areas. Do we know if uh, journalists are being deliberately targeted uh, because of their job, because of what they do? Uh, we have reports. Many journalists have been uh, stopped by rapid support uh, forces, and they are members, and there have been questions, and they have stopped for. Uh, till now, we didn't have any reports of uh, uh, real attack, but have been the questions, and they have been stopped. And why? And they have been asked why they are in these areas, and from where they came uh, for this one because we uh, because this attack with these uh, questions we are really concerned about their safety tens of thousands of people fled Khartoum and they ended up in Al Jazeera they sought refuge there including many journalists who decided to stay in Sudan including yourself uh, when you left Khartoum. But now it seems like a Jazeera is a war zone with the RSF expanding uh, now about to enter Sinar. Are, are you being displaced again? Are journalists and civilians being displaced again? Tens of thousands of civilians and tens of journalists have been displaced again from Madani uh, uh, to uh, other areas. Some of them reach now. Some of them have been, as I said before, have been scattered in the villages around Madani. I myself, I have been displaced again. And, and the problem is that when we displace, there is no safety corridors to leave the war zone areas. We are being stuck in the war zone areas, and there is no vehicles. Uh, the oil uh, stations have been uh, closed completely. Uh, if you want to leave the, the area, you have to walk for uh, tens kilometers, and it's not safety because you can't stops, you can be looted, you can be, and uh, even uh, you, can, uh, you can come under the exchange of fire. Uh, thank you very much, Abu Dris, for speaking with me, and please uh, be safe and good luck. That was Abdul Mulaim Abu Dris, president of the Sudanese Journalist Syndicate. He spoke with me from Al Jazeera State. The RSF has consistently denied allegations of looting in areas under their control, often attributing the incidents to criminal elements posing as RSF. In June, a committee was announced with the mandate of investigating and prosecuting individuals involved in rights violations against civilians, looting civilian properties, and recovering stolen assets for, for their rightful owners. Today, South African Christian leaders briefed the media 
at O.R. Tambo International Airport after visiting Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, Bethlehem, and the Rafah Gate. Our reporter, Tutho Komalo, was at the briefing. He spoke with VOS Yahya Zuhib from Johannesburg, and said the press conf- about the c- press conference. He started by explaining who the church leaders were and what their mission entailed. This was a delegation of about 19 church leaders which joined other Christian leaders across the world. They are saying their mission there in Palestine was to be there with the Palestinians, especially over Christmas, to hear their stories and also to experience what they're experiencing during this time when uh, different areas in Palestine are being uh, bombarded by the Israeli forces. Um, Their message really was uh, they saw a lot of suffering with these people that have lost their relatives, some relatives still under rubbles. And of course, they said uh, uh, the other thing that they saw, their movement is very much restricted, which of course, uh, Reverend Chikane, uh, who is the leader of the delegation, likened it to what South Africa experienced here uh, under apartheid, saying uh, that must stop. They need uh, to stop the war so that the people of Palestine can also have the independence that South Africa has. So too, so these church leaders actually went to Jerusalem as well as to Tel Aviv, uh, the Rafa Gate and Bethlehem. Did they meet any officials from Gaza or did they meet any officials from the Israeli government? According to them, they only met uh, civil society organizations. They also said they met uh, some relatives of the people that were uh, taken hostage by uh, Hamas fighters when they attacked people in Israel on the 7th of October. And in these meetings, uh, this is where they got all the sides, the concerns of those families who still need their relatives who are taken hostage to be released and uh, they need that to be facilitated in a peaceful situation and also on the other side uh, the Palestinians that are calling for peace to prevail so that at least they can also continue to live with their lives. So they did not meet uh, the hostages, they did not meet um, government officials from both sides but met uh, different organizations that shared them uh, their stories. And to so South Africa seems to to understand uh, the pain of the Palestinians more so than uh, other countries. Uh, why is that? From what the the reverends here, the bishops were saying, is that the situation that they saw in Gaza is similar to what South Africa experienced under apartheid, where they were restricted in their movement, they were restricted in their rights, they were not allowed to do certain things that white people were allowed. To to do. And this is the general feeling of South Africans to say what called the occupation of uh, the Palestinian areas is exactly what they experience in South Africa. So according to them, they share quite a lot of similarities in terms of the rights restrictions and uh, of course the arrest and other things that are happening to the people in Palestine. So when they look into that situation, most cases you talk to South Africans, you talk to the leaders of the churches that we're speaking to today, they are saying those are situations that cannot be allowed to continue. They are saying there is need to have this two-state solution where the Palestinians are also having independence and being in charge of themselves, and the Israel too is in charge of Israel in Israel, so that there is peace between the two nations. That was reporter Tuso Kumalo briefing us on the latest from Johannesburg. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. 
Coming up, we look at fuel shortages in Central Africa. Stay tuned. South Sudan in focus is now on WhatsApp. Send us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again, plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. You're listening to South Sudan in focus on the voice of America. This past year has been one of the most momentous years in Israel's history, from the massive protest against the judicial overhaul to the October 7th Hamas assault on Israel and the war in Gaza. For many Israelis and Palestinians, life will never be the same. Linda Grastein reports. For more than nine months, every Saturday night, tens of thousands of Israelis filled the streets to protest against Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's plan to take power from the Supreme Court and give it to the government. One of the protest leaders was a group of army reservists called Brothers in Arms. But on October 7th, when thousands of Hamas gunmen invaded 22 Israeli communities bordering Gaza, killing 1,200 Israelis and taking 240 people hostage, everything changed. Immediately, I think the uh, previous uh, protest movement is uh, was cancelled and everybody um, immediately started or came together to, to help to strengthen Israel again because Israel was in a very weak position. A few weeks after the Hamas terror attack, the Israeli army launched a massive ground invasion of Gaza that Palestinians say has killed more than 18,000 in Gaza. The destruction which has been inflicted on Gaza uh, by the Israeli army is, is just so immense. Uh, uh, it's just beyond imagination. Uh, uh, um, complete neighborhoods uh, have been leveled up, uh, have been erased. Uh, 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 the level and magnitude of, of the destruction is just going to take years and years. International agencies warn of a growing humanitarian crisis in Gaza as heavy fighting continues. Palestinians say they want the international community to impose a ceasefire. We demand a ceasefire. What happened is enough. We are civilians. We don't have any want to keep or anything here. Why are we being here? We are civilians with children and women. Israel says it has two goals in this war, to destroy Hamas's military capability and to free the hostages. During a week-long ceasefire in November, Hamas freed 110 hostages, mostly women and children, in exchange for more than 300 Palestinian prisoners. Hamas still holds 129 hostages. The families of the hostages say they fear time is running out to get them back alive. Put the best offer on the table to get the hostages back alive, alive. We don't want them back in bags. That requires to act now. We have no time. The Biden administration has been supportive of Israel, providing aid and weapons in the face of nearly unanimous international condemnation of Israel's conduct of the war. But there are deep divisions between how the U.S. and Israel envision the future of Gaza. The current Israeli government is utterly opposed to a two-state solution. And since Mr. Netanyahu is dependent on 
the most right-wing elements uh, in the Israeli political system. Um, he is unlikely to make moves in that direction, which is why the president no doubt said that he felt that Mr Netanyahu should have a different coalition. According to polls, a majority of Israelis say Netanyahu should be replaced once the war ends. But until then, Netanyahu leads the fight against Hamas in a bitter war with no end in sight. Linda Gradstein, VOA News, Jerusalem. Central Africa has for months been plagued by acute fuel shortages that have stifled regional economic growth, disrupted local businesses and contributed to rising food prices and social unrest. The shortages are partly blamed on increased demand coupled with disruptions in supply and on illegal trade in conflict zones. Moki Edwin Kinzeke reports for VOA from Yaoundé, Cameroon. Officials in several Central African states say vehicle owners, truck drivers and motorcyclists in major cities wait for several hours, sometimes days, to fill their tanks as pumps have been regularly running dry since fuel shortages started several months ago. Cameroonian officials partly blame ongoing disruptions to stormy weather off the Atlantic coast, stranding cargo ships at the regional hub port of Lomi, Togo. The landlocked Central African Republic, which receives ferry supplies through Cameroon's Douala seaport, also reports disruptions. Aid agencies in the country, which has been hit by sectarian violence, say if nothing is done to stop the ferry crisis, delivery of needed humanitarian aid will be affected. A severe fuel crisis is also steering social unrest in Chad. Officials there report protests in the capital, Jamena, and in towns including Bongor, Mundu, Fayalajor, and Abeche, where the military this week said it dispersed protesters with tear gas. Chad's military government said this week that its troops seized hundreds of containers of fuel illegally transported to the border with Sudan. Chad says contraband fuel trade increased on its border with Sudan since ferocious fighting broke out in Sudan's civil war in April. Amina Ehimi Torna is the Director General of Chad's Downstream Sector Regularization Authority, which is responsible for the regulation, control and monitoring of standards of petroleum operations there. She says merchants should immediately stop illegal exports to neighboring countries that are also facing severe fuel shortages. Turner says gasoline and diesel fuel are highly combustible and should not be stored in jerry cans and buckets at home with the hope of selling to illegal vendors at exorbitant rates should the ongoing fuel shortage persist. Sudan's fighting shut down businesses and forced civilians and fuel merchants to flee the northeastern African state. Chadian officials say Sudanese civilians who braved the fighting as well as troops of Sudan's National Army and a rival national paramilitary force rushed to Chad's porous 1,400-kilometer border for fuel regularly. Salisu Yunusa is the president of Chad's Consumers Union in Adre, 
a town in Guadai province that is home to about 210,000 Sudanese refugees. UNISA says the shortage has plunged host communities and refugees into deeper poverty and is causing unprecedented increases in the prices of rice, onions, corn, millet and sorghum. He says a 30-kilogram bag of onions that sold at $40 had tripled in price to about $120 within the past two months. UNISA says the price hikes, environmental disasters, and arms conflicts make living very difficult for a majority of civilians who are not sure of a meal each day. There is some hope the situation will change soon in the region. Chad, Cameroon, and the CAR this month regulated fuel sales to 20 liters per motorist with the aim of stabilizing supply and demand. Chad says its shortage will improve when a refinery in Jamena that closed in April for maintenance reopens, although it did not say when that would happen. Cameroon says besides the liberalization of petroleum products imports, it is importing what it calls enough quantities to meet the country's increasing demand for fuel. Moki Edwin Kinzuka, VOA News, Yawunde. Attacks on merchant vessels navigating the Red Sea are forcing ships to travel around Africa to transport goods to Europe in North America. But major African ports on the continent's east coast, Mombasa and Dar es Salaam, are too small to handle so many big ships in a short period of time. This means most of the pressures on South African ports, themselves racked by multiple challenges. Darren Taylor reports. About 19,000 ships navigate the Suez Canal every year, making it one of the world's key routes especially for fossil fuels and goods moving between Asia and Europe. To reach the channel, ships must travel through the Red Sea. But Houthi militants allied to Iran are attacking vessels on the route with drones and missiles. The Houthis say they're acting to prevent ships from going to Israel because of its war against Hamas militants in Gaza. International shipping companies are now diverting ships around South Africa's Cape a much longer and more expensive journey. The disruption has contributed to higher oil prices and choked global supply chains. Gavin Kelly is the director of South Africa's Freight Association. He says the logical ports for ships to restock and refuel are Durban and Cape Town, Africa's two most developed harbours. But these ports and others in South Africa are clogged mainly because of the collapse of the country's railways, Kelly tells VOA. That means those exports have to get to the port somehow, and the only somehow, because we can't send it by plane, are trucks. So now we see queues of trucks trying to get into the port, and the port wasn't designed to take hundreds of trucks a day, offloading, turning around and going out. It just wasn't built for that. It was built primarily for rail. So now you have congestion inside the port because the trucks need to be able to offload somewhere. And obviously it's a laborious process. So entry into the port begins to slow down and you get these long queues of trucks stacking up.
Kelly says tens of thousands of containers are piled up as ports struggle to process them. He adds that regular failures of computer systems and long electricity outages make things worse. In the midst of this chaos, says Kelly, it's going to be very difficult for port workers to process and service extra ships. Kelly describes services at the harbors as the worst they've been in decades, and he says that's mainly because of corruption and mismanagement at State Transport Authority, Transnet. Transnet chairperson Sandile Sanku tells VOA years of budget cuts are to blame for the company not building enough capacity. This is going to take time. Nothing is going to happen overnight. We have indicated many a times that we would need to invest in improving our infrastructure. Equipment has deteriorated. This is as a result of many years of underinvestment and uh, many years of under maintenance. In May, the World Bank found that South African ports are among the worst performing globally. Andrew Whitfield, a spokesperson for opposition party the Democratic Alliance, says the government must allow private sector companies to help ease the crisis at harbours. If we're going to extract these efficiencies out of our catalytic infrastructure, which is what our ports are, we need to make sure that the things that the state cannot do are outsourced to the private sector in partnership. You can't attract private investment into the ports unless the private sector has a stake. The port of Durban, there's certainly some very good moves in that direction, and we hope that that has a knock-on effect to other ports. Because at the end of the day, it's business that relies on ports. Business and government need to work together in order to make sure that we get the best out of our ports. The Freight Association's Kelly says rerouted ships and their cargo could be delayed for weeks at South African harbours. Meanwhile, the United States has formed a multinational naval force to protect ships travelling the Red Sea. Yesterday, the Pentagon announced its forces had shot down several missiles and drones in the region. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. And we have these greetings and end-of-year messages from VOA listeners in South Sudan and throughout Africa. Hello, VOA. I'm Thomas Kunside in South Sudan, Jongle State, Banga County. I'm hereby to send my best regard to my children who are currently living in Uganda. Happy Merry Christmas and Happy New Year of 2024 to you. The year of 2024, I wish it will be the year of peace in South Sudan. The, for the willing of the God. Thank you. Hello, BOA Daybreak Africa. I'm a BOA listener in South Sudan. I wish everyone a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. I also wish my family a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year across South Sudan. It's a to all BOA listeners all over the world, Africa. POA African service in the morning. I wish you happy Salubi days from Innocent Oluku 
from Nigeria, Edo Delta. I wish you, everyone, all of your listeners, to happy 2024 with prosperity and good health. May God bless you. Good morning. I'm Lassana Luna from Morovia, Liberia. I would like to extend this season greetings to my family in and out of Liberia. May the Almighty God continue to bless us, continue to make us to see many more years to come, give a long life, prosperity, and also my viewing family. May the Almighty God bless you guys for presenting the show. I thank you all. May the God Almighty bless us all. V-O-A. What a wonderful, wonderful experience it has been. I'm George Jiraki Kamara, and I'm from Monovia. I would like to basically extend my thanks and appreciation to the management team and the correspondents of VOA for the quality of information that have been disseminated to our 2023. As soon as four approaches, I would like to express my anticipation in having very same quality of news and then the professional manner in which the VOA team has been managing their news report. I would like to extend my Merry Christmas wishes to the management and I also wish you guys a prosperous new year. Thank you all. Thank you all. And I look forward to having a very wonderful experience to our 2024 and beyond. And that's all we have for you this Thursday. I'm your host, Nabil Biagio in Washington. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. Remember to join us again tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from The Voice of America.